Thursday, April 21st, and we have the first edition of State of the Division, the NL East version. Aram Layton joined by our managing editor, Ryan Finkelstein, and also host of Locked On Mets. So, I mean, what better guy to have on the NL East side of things? Ryan, tame it down a little bit for this first episode, please. Like, don't be too... Don't be too obnoxious of a Mets fan, uh, but obviously we're going to be talking a lot about your New York Mets and and how good they've been in the state of this division. Yeah, I mean, I think that you probably sent Jack over to me today to have me on the Just Baseball show so I could be less annoying here. So yes. I think that was the plan. So people can, if they want to see me get really loud and obnoxious, go to the Just Baseball show uh, today, I guess. And you can see that I also wore a little heat shirt as a peace offering for your arm. So yeah, you, you must be buzzing right now. Dude, so you've I'm got the fire. Miami no Heat. Idea. I'm a Miami <laughs> Heat fan, obviously, too. Uh, and for, before people just pile on you, like, how are you a Heat and Mets fan? You grew up in South Florida, but the exactly. Mets were, were passed down from your father, correct? Yep. And my dad did not like any basketball team. So I was allowed to pick the local team. Shaq comes to town when I'm, I don't know, nine years old. And who else would I root for? But the Shaq, Wade, and then Wade, championship, yeah. and then LeBron and yeah, it's my it's by it saved me so much heartache as a Mets fan. And recently, the way the Giants have played to always have the heat in my pocket as a team that just does things the right way and destroys somebody like Trey Young, which is just a fantastic <laughs> thing to watch over the past couple of days here. Uh, well, uh, me too, man, because obviously I, my background, for those who might not know me from before just baseball, I started podcasting with the Locked on Marlins podcast. And that's how you and I got acquainted. And, you know, that was a lot of fun. Uh, but being a Marlins fan throughout most of my life was was never really fun as a kid and going up after that because I was six years old when they won the World Series, barely remembered it. And then after that, there just wasn't much after. So this team is heading in a little bit of a better direction. We're going to start with with the contenders, with the Mets and the Braves. But I can say, though, to wrap up on the heat, they kept me sane uh, when yes. it comes to sports uh, during the Dolphins years. Uh, the the Marlins years and, and all of just the suffering of a Miami sports fan. Uh, but suffering is, is what Mets fans have done a lot of. And yes. this is a special team. This is a very talented team. And I know like it's the, oh, we've had this conversation before. And I jokingly sent you a text. It's 2007 all over again. Cause I want to keep you humble as we're still only like 10 games into the season. Uh, that 2017 was really good on paper too. Uh, not this good on paper, but really good on paper too. And they started off phenomenally. Do you feel anything different about this Mets team as you know, they are off to as good of a start as, as you could want? Yeah, I, we've seen it many times. The Mets usually are a hot starter. And so there's always a cocky Mets fan in April uh, where, where you just think, all right, this is finally year. But to me, because Steve Cohen is atop this organization, I, I just think it's all different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no longer this penny-pinching Wilpon. So you look at the Mets right now and you say, all right, at the deadline, they could add a Mark Melanson. They, they can make other moves to make this team better. And I just look at this rotation right now. The fact that they're doing what they're doing without DeGrom, with Taiwan Walker going out, the fact that Mark Cannon and Brandon Nimmo go out over the weekend with COVID and the lineup just keeps rolling, it, it just feels different. It feels like a deeper team. And I also think that Buck Showalter uh, changes things to at least make the Mets a, a good regular season team, if anything else. I think he's going to keep the ship in the right direction. In the doubleheader yesterday, there was two moves that I love that Buck did. One, Tyler McGill struggles through the first three innings. He leaves him out there, and, and McGill actually gets him through six to help out the bullpen in a doubleheader. And also, he sends Scherzer back to the mound 
with 95 pitches, I think, um, to pitch one more inning so that the bullpen only needed to get two innings at the end of that doubleheader. They just swept a doubleheader against the Giants, and that's a great team, as you know. So I think that's showing that this Mets team is a little bit different than some of the other teams in the past. Well, uh, the two points that you hit on that stand out the most to me, and a reason why I'm I'm going to drink the Kool Aid a little bit more is as they're nine and three to start the season, run differential wise, and I know that's that's a little bit of a wishy washy stat. I know Marlins fans like to use run differential as a joke, but when it's not a wishy washy stat is when you're trouncing everybody, and that's what the Mets are doing with a plus twenty nine run differential. We know how good the offense is, but the two things that you, you note I think stand out to me is. Who's at the helm in both the dugout and in the organization? And both of those are really good and probably the best things have looked for the Mets in a long time. We had Robert Flores on the podcast and, and we were asking Roflo, what, what's the one thing that you can tell Mets fans ahead of the season that they can expect from Buck Showalter? And he said, the most prepared manager you're, you're going to see and, and the most experienced and a guy that's just knows what he's doing out there. Uh, and I think that's 100% like what you've hit on. And he's the perfect guy to manage all of these big personalities, all of these stars in one spot. Uh, everyone respects Buck, and he seems like the perfect guy to have at the helm there. Uh, one note on 2007, too. That's like the oldest team in Major League Baseball history. Uh, I, yeah. I, I has to be. It has to be. Mm -hmm. That team was stupidly old. Um, you had guys like Moises Alou at 40 years old. They had our advisor, Jeff Conine, doing his one last dance over there at 41 years old. I mean, they had a really, really old team. Julio Franco was 48. Tom Glavin, it was crazy. So this team has some older players, but they do have the balance of youth. And, uh, you know, to talk about the Mets, what is the one concern? What's the one thing, the one Achilles heel that you think that could come back to bite them? The obvious would be maybe the pitching side of things, right? Like is if DeGrom is out and can't really come back and stay healthy and Scherzer fades, are you still feeling good about the state of the Mets? I, I honestly, I really, the more I think about it, I'm not that concerned because the only thing I could point to right now is the bullpen. And when I look at a team that has a starting rotation that goes seven deep right now, because David Peterson has even thrown the ball pretty well. Um, not that I think he should be in a rotation for extended periods, but when you have injuries, he's not a terrible fist starter. And I think the biggest thing for me, it's Chris Bassett and Carlos Carrasco. I think Carrasco was going to be the Bassett type addition last year and he wasn't healthy. He blew out his hamstring. And when he came back, he rehabbed at the big league level. He ended up getting a, a surgery on his shoulder or on his elbow after the season. So they cleaned that up. He looks like Carrasco again. And one of the stats that I love to mention on my show is if you look at XFIT from 2014 through 2020, do you know how high Carlos Carrasco ranked among starters with at least 500 innings pitched? No idea. He was fourth. Ahead of Scherzer, it was, it was, uh, I don't remember the exact, but I think it's Kershaw, Sale, DeGrom, Carrasco, a 3.05 XFIP from 2014 through 2020. I think people forget how good he can be. And when you have those two guys in the middle of your rotation and Bassett and Carrasco, I think the Mets could get by this whole year without DeGrom if they had to. And even if Scherzer were to be a little bit less than what he's been in the past, as long as he's taken the ball and being 80% of Max Scherzer, when you have those guys, I think this rotation is going to be fine. And the offense to wrap up on the Mets. I mean, Francisco Lindor is playing at that $341 million player level. 
Uh, we know Pete Alonzo and what he's capable of. He'll, he'll get hot again. Uh, and Starling Marte is going to get going a little bit more as well. But the fact that they're already trouncing teams without their offense clicking on all cylinders is a great sign. And also Jeff McNeil looks more like the Jeff McNeil prior to last season. Uh, that offense is never going to be a problem. I, I don't think this year. We, we we were surprised last year, but I would be shocked this year if the offense was any bit of a problem for them. But right now, they have they have first place. It's early. We're, we're not even a fraction of the way into the season. And the defending champs are not off to the best start, but still are a team that you blink and they're right on you. I mean, I still think pound for pound, you got to beat the champs. And uh, the Atlanta Braves are the team to beat. They have not gotten off to the best start. It doesn't help that you had to play the Dodgers in L.A. or this early in the season. I'm not I'm not worried about the Braves whatsoever. Uh, Ian Anderson is, is always a guy that starts a little bit slower and then gets going. They're going to be just fine. But how, how worried are you about the Braves? And, and now that the Mets have done what they've done to start the season, do you feel like it's the Mets division to lose? I really do. I, I, when I came into the year, I would always hedge with, well, it's still, you know, the reigning champs. You got to respect the Braves. The Braves have owned this division since they came into it. So it, you always have to beat the Atlanta Braves. But the one thing I said going into the year is the Mets had to get off to a fast start because I thought the Braves would stumble out of the gate. You don't have Acuna right now. There's that big leadership vacuum with no Freddie Freeman, even though Olsen has been incredible. That's still a huge piece of your ball club that you have to replace. So I think, the Mets are doing what they have to do. They have to stretch out an early lead. And then if they can just keep pace with the Braves when they round into form, they are going to have that cushion to be able to win this division. When I look at the Mets and I see Max Scherzer atop this team, I just think that there's a different leadership that's not going to allow them to have the type of backslides they did last year. And that's why I'm so confident that they should be the favorite. But like you said, the Braves have all the talent in the world. And when Acuna comes back in that lineup, we know that they can go on a huge run. Yeah, well, that's I'm going to make the Braves case here because I, I agree with everything you've said on the Mets side. And this isn't because I think the Mets aren't the team to beat. I think they're they're one A and one B. So I'm going to try to make a little bit yeah. more of the Braves case as to why they're right there and why I think they could easily take this division. Max Fried was phenomenal. Uh, he got caught up to him a little bit in that in that outing against the Dodgers, but he was perfect, I believe, through five or six. He looks really good, and he's he's a guy that can anchor the your rotation for many years and will be one of their go-to guys. Charlie Morton is still very, very solid. As I mentioned, Ian Anderson's going to bounce back. I am concerned about Quascarino Noah, though. He has not looked the same since returning from that injury. But the big X factor for the Braves is Kyle Wright. And Kyle Wright looks like he has figured it out. He tweaked his curveball. He tightened it up. It has a better shape to it. His fastball looks fantastic. And the stuff has been playing up. I mean, he has struck out 15, only walked one through his first two starts. If Kyle Wright is Kyle Wright, this team is in a different, has a different outlook because they also added Kenley Jansen, who now makes their bullpen one of the best in baseball. And then Marcelo Zuna is back. And guess what? He looks good. He's got an 873 OPS through the first 13 games. That's a big boost for them. And Matt Olson, he's probably going to hit better than Freddie Freeman did last year. I know the, we talk about the leadership and we can't put ourselves inside the clubhouse. We can only really speak to, to what's going on on the field. And on the field, the Braves aren't losing anything with Matt Olson. Austin Riley seems to be taking that next step. The only issue I have with the Braves is their shortstop and Dansby Swanson, who I still think is going to turn it around. He's 
the horrible start to the season. He always finds a way when you get frustrated with him, you look back at the end of the year and you're like, oh, he hit 260 with a 780 OPS and 27 homers or whatever. And you're like, okay, uh, or 24 homers. So I, I think ultimately this team's as balanced as it gets. And I'm not worried about them at all. And I still think that you got to beat the champs, but the Mets have more firepower. I, I think that's fair. But it, would you say it's a two horse race here for the NL East? Are, are yeah. we that out on the Phillies already? I think so for sure. Uh, and just, just a quick note on, on Dansby Swanson. I think he's the face of a replacement level shortstop. And I mean that in, in the best sense, I think that we just saw last year, you can win a world series with him as your starting shortstop, but he's just not providing anything um, extra to, to help get you there. He's just, he's a solid defensive shortstop. He'll hit his home runs, but he's not going to move the needle too much. I think that the Braves are, are clearly still that team with, with the Mets where they're just more complete, and we're seeing these holes pop up with the Phillies that we already knew coming into the year. I think we're so close to getting the defensive line alignment that I want because Alec Bohm is hitting, and I just see that maybe that urge to DH him, and I can't wait till they go Harper, Castellanos, and Schwarber in the outfield. It's oh. going to happen at some point. I'm telling you, we're going to get like 50 games of it. They're going to be the worst defense in baseball, and, and it's just a team that's so top-heavy that it'll look great for a game. But the Marlins, I mean, hit it can go cold. The Marlins carve them up. You know, the, the Rockies are out slugging them. I just, I don't think that this, I think this is a team that'll hover around 500 this year. I, I really, I've been out on the Phillies and I, I don't, I don't see them really contending, but they could get hot. That, that is, that is true for sure. Four and eight to start the season uh, at the point of where we're recording this. And you mentioned the Marlins in the Rocky series and it's early for them, but I think that their, their flaws are, are evident, right? Like they, they have the pitching that I think is going to be the question mark for them always. Right. I love Zach Wheeler. He's going to be fine. He had a bad start against the Marlins. Yeah. Fine. Uh, Aaron Nola continues to be this Jekyll and Hyde type of guy. And look, I think Noah is a good big league starter, but if you don't have much else after Aaron Noah, he's got to be better than what he is. And, and that's a big question mark right now for the Phillies. If Nola is not that bona fide number two, and he hasn't been anything close to that. And the offense, as you mentioned, it's going to come and go, but if you're not able to score against the Marlins, which is going to be tough sometimes, that's a stingy rotation. As we know, you better be able to score against the Rockies and they're at cores. They've scored six runs in two games. That is not, they can't win that way, right? Like they have right. to put up runs and that's the problem is in a 162 game season, no matter how loaded your offense is, you have to be able to win games other ways. You got to be able to win games some other way. And other teams have pitching to fall back on or a good bullpen or whatever. The Phillies are all in on the offense and that's it. And as you mentioned, they might even have to go even further all in. And through the duration of the season, when you have an outfield, like you mentioned, and already the defensive limitations are going to have all over, it's going to kill them. A couple times a week, they're going to lose games because of that defense, even when they do hit. So I think that this team isn't really built to sustain 162. Uh, I was a little bit too optimistic on the pitching because they can't really afford to have any of their pitchers struggle. Oh, yeah. Like When I look at the Yankees and Garrett Cole struggles, I'm like, it's fine. Like He'll come back around and they'll be fine. But when I look at the Phillies and Zach Wheeler struggles, I think Wheeler will be fine. But if he's not fine for the first month, they could be 10 games under. Yeah. And you have Ranger Suarez has a ton of pressure on him. I mean, how is he supposed to live up to the year he had last year? It's really difficult. It's a team that uh, I think that the Phillies could easily, one of the things I said coming into the year, as I said, the Phillies have a better chance to win the world series than they have to win this division. 
And the reason I said that is because I could see them getting hot and hitting a bunch of home runs in October as the last wildcard team. I can't see them putting it together over a full season and having more wins than the Mets or the Braves. One of those two teams is going to win this division. Uh, and honestly, like, like even though I don't think the Marlins have a chance to win this division, I think that the Marlins, I look at good pitching and I just think that's a, a better indicator of getting through a full season than good hitting. And, and the Marlins pitching, as obviously you can attest to, is up and coming and you, you almost have a, a 2015 Mets vibes with that rotation they got down there with all those young aces. Yeah, that's actually what, what my next question was going to be was, are the Marlins ahead of the Phillies here? I mean, we've seen what the Marlins have done to the Phillies over the last couple of years, but are the Marlins ahead of the Phillies moving forward in terms of like your, your NL East outlook? Outlook. Absolutely. This year, I even could see them, um, you know, being better than the Phillies. If, if Jesus Sanchez and Jazz Chisholm, if that's legit, the way they're starting off their season, they actually have a couple of legitimate star offensive players to start to build around with Jorge Soler blasting 470 foot home runs and some of the other pieces. Uh, they're, they're also a team that I think has some defensive questions, obviously on the center field, but they're also a center fielder away. So if they were to just hover close and be in a wild card race, do they make the big move and get a center fielder at the deadline that allows them to be a wild card team? I, I see the Marlins as a team that could be a big move or two away at the deadline from really being a dangerous wild card team. Well, ironically, they made that move in 2020 for Starling Marte. And that got yeah. them in that in that, you know, fake playoff run, which I always talk about. And it was great for baseball. Like it was great for it was it was necessary during a really trying time. I'm not trying to undermine it that way, but undermining it from the lens of just like that didn't really represent where the Marlins were at as a franchise. Uh, and Starling Marte helped put them over the top. But that Starling Marte acquisition this year, if they could do it this year, right, like adding him to this team, ironically, could have put them into the wild card conversation. So we'll see if they can do a similar type of move as the season goes on, because the pitching staff is phenomenal. Uh, Sandy Alcantara, we know how good he's a top 20 pitcher in baseball, maybe better than that. Uh, Pablo Lopez, though, has looked fantastic through his first two outings. Trevor Rogers was tipping pitches against the Phillies. Mel Stoudemire Jr., the Marlins pitching coach, said that was something that they were going to focus on. The bullpen, I was worried about it. They went out and got Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer, which has been a huge, huge, huge help to them. And they're going to get Dylan Floro back. The bullpen should be fine enough. I'd like to see them go get another arm, but it doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I don't think it's a liability, though. I think it's just fine. And the offense, I mean, that's the question. There are two new additions in Avi Garcia and Jorge Soler have not hit at all. And they've still been able to put together at least enough offense from time to time to win some games. You mentioned Jesus Sanchez. He's not going to have a thousand OPS the whole year. Uh, and Jazz Chisholm, they won't take the, the baby gloves off of. Like they, they won't yeah. take, they won't let him face lefties. He only has 24 at bats. And in those 24 at bats, he's an 1100 OPS. So it's a little bit of a weird situation. The Marlins are still trying to figure out how to mix and match with this lineup. Uh, but I agree, man. I, I, I'm obviously going to agree with that. But personally, the Marlins are more built for 162. And I think they're going to get better as the year goes on. I really do think they're going to get better as the year goes on. And don't forget, they've got Max Meyer just waiting there in the wings to come in there and you know potentially be able to help them out of the bullpen, spot start, or take Eliezer Hernandez's spot in the rotation. Uh, we'll round out with you know, the Washington Nationals. Um, <laughs> not much on them. Uh, I mean, they're good. off to a better start than we thought, right? 
I think we just stopped there, right? Just, just <laughs> not much on them. They're off to a better start than we thought. They swept a doubleheader yesterday against the Diamondbacks. I mean, what are we going to do with that? It, it was, I mean, congratulations. But it, it, you watch the games or you, or you see the highlights, and there really wasn't any highlights to talk about. They scored six runs without Soto getting a hit. That's impressive. I, I just, I, I, you look at that team, and, and I got to see it up close with the first series against the Mets. When you have Michael Franco, Asidas Escobar, and who's the who's the other guy I'm missing? Uh, Cesar Hernandez as your infield. Uh, I think I, I think I wrote something for just baseball. I said, uh, you know, D Gordon in the mix too. I said, you know, that team would have been better five years ago, but it still wouldn't have been good. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> so, I, like, this is what I'd really wrap up with on the Nationals. Um, and like, we'll talk about it more as the season goes on, as if young players come up or if some guys are playing their way into being a trade piece. We'll talk about it, but it's pretty hard to talk about a team that's already eliminated itself from the playoffs, essentially, before the season even started. Um, this headline from ESPN kind of encapsulates it. Record low crowd sees Robles and Gray help Nats top the D-back 6-1. to one. That's it. And <laughs> you can just say, wrap it up you, on that right there. You want to shout out a young player? Josiah Gray does look a lot better this year than last year. So there's your Nationals analysis. Yeah, Josiah Gray is going to be a very solid big league starter for some time. Uh, I mean, Juan Soto is is never going to get pitched to. Uh, I will say Michael Franco is off to a pretty good start. Josh Bell continues to rake and probably is going to hit his way out of Washington. And uh, Nelson <laughs> Nelson Cruz is is starting to look old. I, that's the one thing I got to say to wrap yeah. up. Nelson Cruz kind of looking old. I hope not because I always thought he'd hit until he was – you know, collecting his, his social security money, but like, I, I just don't know. He might be slowing down and I'm, I'm glad he got his check, but the nationals are even more doomed. If Nelson Cruz is hitting a buck 91 uh, with one home run through his first 12 games, especially because that check I think was, was written to get a prospect at the deadline. And uh, if they can't cash that in, that's just going to be uh, pretty unfortunate for them. I really want to see him get to, to 500 home runs too. So I'm hoping he can turn things around at least, at least hit 25 home runs this year and maybe stick around. I always like to see those guys chase history. Yeah. Well, we got some other history chases across the game and uh, you know, we'll have those other state of the divisions to, to keep up with. He's 50 shy. Nelson Cruz is from 500, but we will have probably a totally different update next week as the Mets will be in last place. You'll be no. hysterical. The Marlins will be catching fire or, and, or they'll no, they'll probably bottom out. And the Nationals will be in first place and basically just baseball will be in shambles. So uh, until then, any final words, Ryan? LFGM. <laughs> Enjoy this while it lasts. We'll be back with you next week, same day, every week to talk about the state of the National League East.